Take a listen to Marcus's story. I had no idea that I honestly had it. Two days later, my parents actually got it. And that was when, you know, the guilt set in. This could be like the end for my parents. This story is the COVID wake-up call that young people need to hear. How would you feel if you witnessed both your parents go to the hospital because of COVID? How would you feel that you could intentionally get people sick? It's time to talk about the role of young people in the pandemic. That's coming up in just a moment. Welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday the 21st of August. I'm Tom Tilley. And I am Jan Fran. Before we get to that story, let us find out what is making news this morning. Well, border closures are expected to headline today's National Cabinet meeting. The PM has written to the state and territory leaders pushing for uniform rules nationwide. Now, this comes after revelations that people in border towns are having trouble crossing for medical emergencies and for education purposes, while some farmers can't get across the border to feed their animals. And Agriculture Minister David Littleproud has gone as far as calling uh, today's meeting a flashpoint for the Federation. We've tried to play nice, we've tried to engage with them, but now it's time for the premiers to lead this. This is an opportunity for them to show leadership and show that states still work, that federation still works. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, uh, who has come under scrutiny for Queensland's border closures, says that she is standing firm. Let me make it very clear. We will always put Queenslanders first. We will put the safety of Queenslanders first. And we are not. Ha- we do not have any intentions of opening any borders whilst there is community transmission active in Victoria and in New South Wales. And in New South Wales, the Deputy Premier John Barillaro has broken ranks with the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, calling for the Victorian border to open. Under 100 in, in the next few weeks, uh, I would argue that the border should be lifted. You could almost lift the restrictions this side of Christmas. This is a, a politically charged issue, I think, Tom. Um, WA, for example, which is a state that has had zero community transmission for 120 days, uh, has said that that's largely due to its border being closed. Queensland's state election is coming up in October. Anastasia Palaszczuk is very popular among Queenslanders for her handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I think a news poll in July showed that she had an 81% approval rating on this issue. So people in particular states, I think, are feeling like they want to be kept safe and that one way to do that, a very significant way to do that, is to shut the borders. Yeah, and another person not happy with the state border closures is the boss of Qantas, Alan Joyce. There are a large number of states and territories that have had zero cases and they're not even open to each other. They should be open soon or now. That was Alan Joyce there blaming unnecessary border closures as a factor in the company's devastating 91% fall in profit compared to last year. This is a loss of $2 billion. We would be very happy and I think a lot of businesses would be very happy if it was science-based and very clear. That makes a lot of sense to me, Jan. Imagine you're running a big business at the moment and there's no real guidance on when these borders are going to reopen, you know, if they had some sort of guide as to where, how those decisions are made, at at what sort of uh, levels of case numbers per day they would reopen the borders, then you could plan a business that already has so much uncertainty to deal with. Um, Joyce confirmed yesterday that at least 6,000 jobs will go, 4,000 by the end of September. And the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry CEO, James Pearson, says 
It's hard to overestimate how bad this situation is. We only have to look up into the sky and see that there aren't many planes there anymore. And that represents a lot of jobs lost. Aviation's been hit hard. And we know that businesses generally across the country are doing it tough. Yeah, and of course, it's not just aviation. Um, There are so many tourism businesses that are tied to planes being able to operate normally. There is a federal Senate inquiry underway now. Tourism operators told the inquiry yesterday that they're really on a knife's edge. Uh, Almost 172,000 tourism businesses basically have two weeks left of cash reserve. That is what the inquiry heard. Um, So it's a dire situation, I think, for the industry. So I'm not surprised in any way that they want borders to reopen as soon as possible. And plenty of famous faces and big names on day three of the Democratic National Convention over in the US. And they all had the same message. Kick out Donald Trump. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously. That he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. That's Barack Obama finally unleashing on the president, which he really hasn't done before. Jen, I don't know if that's a great strategy to play the man because I imagine the Donald Trump supporters hearing that will just feel like they're being talked down to again. And it's sort of for me, reminds me of Hillary Clinton calling Trump supporters deplorables and look how that worked out. I don't know if I would call it that. I think this was a very different speech. I think this was a much more thoughtful speech comparative um, to the one Hillary gave where she used that word. And then there's also the question of who he's actually talking to. Is he necessarily talking to Trump supporters or is he actually talking to undecided voters and trying to move that section of the community to vote in the upcoming election. Yeah, and firing up the Democratic base to actually get out there and vote as well. Yeah, and, you know, he is a very respected uh, member of the Democratic Party and uh, he he's an orator. He speaks very well. Um, he sounds very genuine when he speaks and, and he hasn't really, as you say, unleashed on the president in this way before. So uh, I think it's um, it's a calculated move and, and it's a timely move and well, I guess we're all going to see how things play out in the next few months. Well, he still did it in a very classy way, as you just heard, um, which is good. Um, very surprised to see that Hillary Clinton also spoke at the convention. Don't forget, Joe and Kamala can win by three million votes and still lose. Take it from me. So we need numbers overwhelming so Trump can't sneak or steal his way to victory. Wow, that's a painful narrative to be reminded of. What do you think of that move of, of having her there talking about that? Well, I don't think Hillary Clinton's going to be forgetting that narrative ever. Look, Hillary Clinton, again, is is a massive player in the Democratic Party. I think it would have been a bit strange if they didn't have her there. And singer Billie Eilish also had a few words to say. Donald Trump is destroying our country and everything we care about. We need leaders who will solve problems like climate change and COVID, not deny them. And also Kamala Harris spoke as well. She was formally endorsed as the vice presidential candidate. Let's fight with hope. Let's fight with confidence in ourselves and a commitment to each other, to the America we know is possible. I mean, this was Kamala Harris's, well, arguably the most important speech 
of her career. It was bizarre to watch because she gave it to an empty auditorium, basically. And, uh, and the clapping actually came from folks who were watching it via Zoom. And I remember seeing that and just thinking, wow, isn't that just the picture of 2020? Um, I feel kind of bad because, you know, she is the first woman of colour to officially accept the Democratic VP nomination. It's a very big moment for her. And she had to give the speech to an empty empty room. And just in some quick other US politics news, Steve Bannon, the former advisor to President Trump, has been arrested and charged with defrauding Trump supporters uh, in relation to fundraising for the US-Mexico border war. And these are serious charges um, that could face up to 40 years in prison. So it'd be very interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, In just a moment, we'll talk about young people and their role in the pandemic. coronavirus is just an old person's disease? Think again. The World Health Organization has warned the coronavirus is being driven by young people. COVID-19 predominantly spreads throughout 20 to 29 year olds. Many are unaware they're infected with very mild symptoms or none at all. Older people might be more likely to die from COVID-19, but it's actually people in their 20s who are most likely to contract and also to spread the virus. We're seeing more young people getting together with their mates, contracting this virus and then taking it home to their families. Young people gathering at bars, crowded places. Try and modify how many places you go to. So if you have the virus and you go out five times a week, to different places, you potentially could be spreading it to five different locations. So in Melbourne, part of the reason for the evening curfew is to stop young people moving around to socialise. And there's been some high-profile examples in Queensland and also in New South Wales that highlight the risk. Yeah, so in Newcastle, there was a man in his 20s who didn't realise that he had COVID and uh, he went on a bit of a pub crawl. He went to seven different venues, including a soccer match, over the course of a weekend. Also in Sydney, a man in his 20s who, again, unknowingly had COVID, went to seven venues over a weekend, including several pubs and restaurants. Yeah, and the same problem exists all around the world. Jessica Finn is 23. She's from New York. She got COVID-19 back in March at a music festival in Barcelona, but had no idea. We didn't think we could have it because I just had a slight runny nose. And at that point, that was not one of the symptoms I've had allergies worse than that, colds worse than what I was feeling at this time. You know, you never really think that it could happen to you, but then it did. And even though that was the case, I was still seeing a lot of people my age that I know, they were still going out, like to the bars, even eating at restaurants, all the kind of normal stuff that you would do before COVID. It was upsetting to see because it wasn't being taken as seriously as it should have been. Now, Jessica has since recovered from COVID, but Marcus Tomoff's story is quite harrowing. So he's a 28-year-old from Florida and he contracted COVID-19 in June. He's still dealing with really serious health issues and he infected his parents. It started pretty much around a week prior to June 8th. Uh, I had no idea that I honestly had it. There was no symptoms like whatsoever. Uh, I was working at a restaurant uh, the week prior to June 8th. And then all of a sudden I woke up the 8th and I got pretty much no smell, no taste is how it started. And then after that, things kind of picked up. 
I decided to get tested that day. And then within an hour of that test was when, you know, everything started to unfold as far as symptoms wise. Not sure where I could have got it from. It could have been the restaurant. It could have been, you know, a grocery store. But when everything picked up was when two days later, my parents actually got it. And that was when, you know, the guilt set in that this could be like the end for my parents in a sense. So, and everything intensified within those two days. And for me to deal with that and see my parents deal with it, you know, we had to go through it together. Thankfully, we were all in the same household. Did the whole thing get a lot more real and a lot more visceral when you realize that your parents are obviously a generation older than you got it and, and you know, obviously have that greater risk of the, the impact? Oh, yes. Uh, my whole entire perspective changed, you know, when they got it. Not to say anything, you know, there's a whole entire theory about, you know, it, it's elderly people that can get it very easily because they have diminishing health issues. But it's also, you know, younger people can get it too, and they don't even know it. Or they could, just because they're healthy, it doesn't matter your health status, you can still get it. But when my parents got it, it was just like, holy moly, man. Like we took every preventative measure possible and they still got it. And it debilitated them really quickly to a point that, uh, I think it was about two weeks later, they had to go to the hospital. I woke up one morning, they woke me up. They were so sick that they were having breathing problems that they asked me to drive them to the hospital while I was still dealing with my symptoms. I ended up getting the car, driving them. And as soon as I got to the hospital, you know, just seeing from my end, seeing the nurses having to pick them up from the car and take them into the, the hospital, the ER, was just an eye-opening experience. You know, I don't think anybody wants to see their parents ever go to the hospital. Scared the crud out of me. So how do you look back on, I guess, those events? And how could things have been different if you had more information? I've had a lot of, you know, scrutiny. I've had a lot of people come at me, but I've also had a lot of time to kind of learn about this virus. I've had a lot of time to learn about, you know, my health, my parents' health, the things we can do to prevent things like this, you know, immunity building supplements, making sure we're exercising properly. We're trying to make sure that we're not ever going to have to deal with this again. The most challenging part seems to be the period where you've got it, but you're asymptomatic and you're just going about your life as a young person, which means you do a lot of things and you come into contact with a lot of people. I was actually with a couple of friends the weekend prior to this happening and there was no symptoms whatsoever. There was nothing that I was, I had a concern for. I had no idea. And then, you know, waking up, just no smell, no taste. It was like, all right, I'm going to go get tested just to make sure and just to play it safe. And then as soon as that happened, you know, I let them know. And that was when kind of the hate came in. You know, all of them are just like, you knew all this time. It's like, I had no idea. I have some friends that are just in the same boat as I am. Like they had no idea they were sick and then they got it. Their whole entire world just changed from it. So what's your message to other young people? The best way I can say is, how would you feel if you witnessed both your parents go to the hospital or if you had to witness that because of COVID or let alone, how would you feel that you could intentionally get people sick? It's not that it could be a two week thing, but it's what happens after COVID. It's what the body can be affected by. Cause you're still dealing with problems related to COVID. Oh yeah. Uh, actually I have extremely bad back pain and leg pain. Uh, they consider it myalgia, but it's not. Um, it's a something of a nerve problem caused by COVID or provoked by COVID, as well as I have some pulmonary issues. I have a clot in my my blood system towards my heart. I guess to say is my 
breathing, my blood pressure can rise up very quickly on the simplest of chores. Um, I get winded very easily walking around, sweating profusely very easily. There's a lot of things going on that I will probably deal with for the rest of my life. Wow. Yours is a hectic case. What about your parents? Have they come good? They are actually better than me. They are perfectly fine now. (laughs) And I'm the one that's dealing with all this. I've been seeing a chiropractor. I've had to see a pulmonologist. I've had plenty of my physician and doctor friends that are taking care of me, helping me out with certain things. But there's always so much to do with like trying to relieve the pain. Marcus, it seems like the only solution to this problem of young people spreading it when they're asymptomatic is to basically not go out as much and be super careful when you do, even if you think things are fine. That's the hard part. I mean, you know, this day and age, you can't really control, I guess, a young adult because they're so worried about, you know, comparing themselves to others. They're so worried about partying and having, you know, their time of their lives. I mean, like I said, I live right next to the beach. The beaches are packed here in Tampa and Florida. It's crazy to see the, the just the, I don't want to say the disrespect, but the disregard for a human life. You know, they're more worried about going out and about than they are staying inside for maybe a month or two month period and trying to protect someone. There's a huge amount of generational households. There's a lot of kids that have parents and the grandparents live with their parents. So it's like you could be asymptomatic, but at the end of the day, you could get their grandparents sick. You know, it could just be an extreme domino effect. It's kind of disconcerting. That was Marcus, and his story is so informative at this time. Um, let's find out why that message is not getting through. Dr. Sora Park has researched this question. She's from the News and Media Centre at the University of Canberra. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because um, young people do know how serious it is, but because it doesn't affect them, you know, directly they find it hard to actually think it's really serious. And um, that is shown in, in the study that they think the news media exaggerate more. They think social media exaggerate. They think politicians exaggerate. And it's probably because they don't think it's relevant to themselves. So, yeah, how to connect that, I suppose, to make it relevant to their everyday lives. So connect the facts to that they have grandparents, they have parents, you know, make it somehow relevant to their own lives and they will pay attention. And we have some very good example in the case of climate change um, information where young people do think it's relevant. They do pay attention. um, And that is all through the information they get from news and social media and from other people. Yeah, there was a campaign ad that was launched this week that did just that. It was targeting younger people, but trying to show them how it can impact their life and their family members. Um, Here's part of the TV ad. My mum's in ICU with COVID. We visited her a few weeks ago, but I didn't know that I had COVID. I had no symptoms. A week earlier, my mate cooked dinner. Tom said he just had a cold. He works with Sophie. He said she just had a sniffle. We all had COVID and didn't know it. The campaign is Only on TV, radio and posters, Uh, there's been no mention of online. Do you think that it'll work? Well, I've seen the ad and it's it's a very well made and the message is um, very straightforward and I'm sure young people will engage with the content. But the problem is it's hard to reach them. They're online, they're on social media, they don't actively seek news. News has to find them. 
So just uh, putting it out on TV and radio uh, and on billboards and stuff, it won't reach the demographics because they're on Instagram, they're on YouTube, and they're on you know TikTok. So unless it's on those social media platforms, uh, it'll be really hard to reach those demographics. All right, that was Sora Park from Canberra University. Now, Jan, you know I love coming up with a slogan. I reckon the slogan to get this message through to young people is... Don't hurt the ones you love. Don't hurt the ones you love. What do you think? I like it. You like it? I like it. Yeah, I do. I, I like it. I, I mean, I think you come up with good slogans generally, but I think, yeah, it is about relating it actually to not just about you, but the people around you. What about COVID? Get it now. Keep it forever. Yeah, I guess reverse psychology could work. I like what you've done there. Mm, look, it's not entirely accurate, but it might get people thinking a little bit harder about it. That is it for today. Uh, Thank you so much for listening today and the whole week. And Jan Fran, what's the best way for people to show their support for this little podcast? Well, look, I'm a big fan of telling basically anyone that you come into contact with to listen to this podcast, (laughs) but also to hit us up on social media, take a photo of yourself, listening to the podcast, tag us in it. We'd love to see you. We'd love to share it. And look, as I always say, slide into our DMs. We're always happy to hear from you. At The Briefing Podcast. You have a great weekend. We'll catch you Monday. A Podcast One production.